And some of us may need that reminder, maybe all of us, I would bargain all of us, need that reminder here and there. And so I thank Steve for the things that he shared at the beginning of that song about the Father's deep love. We're going to go to Romans uh, 13 here in a minute. Um, Romans chapter 13, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. I'll address something in case uh, some of you have not heard about it yet. If you see the patch on the back of my head, it's because I was in a gunfight. No, I was not. I was not. Um, Something happened. It's either an infected cyst or an abscess. I don't know. I just know they had to drain it three times this past week after lancing it. And, and they had to pack it, and I have to go back Tuesday. It's really not, it does not feel as bad as it looks, but the longer it's there, I figure I might as well make a good story up about it. Um, my current one, which is a little bit of truth, is I'm wondering if it came from a bug bite that got infected. But just so you know, uh, in case you see that and think, what happened? So now you know. So we're going to go to Romans 13. You know, last week we talked we, about the beginning of Romans 13. And obviously, we've been marching our way through Romans since January. I think it's the longest sermon series I've done here. But we will be finishing Romans about the last Sunday of, of, of November. So, we, so the end is in sight. We're in this ethical section of Romans now. We got through all the theology, the rich, 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 deep theology uh, from Romans chapters 1 through 11. And so if you stay with me, um, hopefully you've learned a lot of great theology and great doctrine. Romans 8, all about the Holy Spirit, just great, great, great stuff. And one thing I like preaching through a series, and one reason I like teaching through a series as well, is at the end of the series, I have my whole pretty much commentary on that book of the Bible. And you could too, in a way, if you stay with me, especially if you pick up the sermon manuscripts. I know... I was asked to present some brief biographical information for Evangelical Friends Eastern Region. They send out an email every Wednesday, and sometimes they'll share about certain pastors, and they ask, uh, favorite book of the Bible, or favorite Bible passage, and I had to put Deuteronomy, because I taught Deuteronomy through Sunday school over about close to a year, just less than a year, and that just, you know, when you get immersed in one book of the Bible, it can change your life, and I hope that's happening here. So, you know, in Romans 12, it begins the ethical sections, uh, the, 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 the ethical chapters, rather, the do, you know, and then Romans 13, submit to authorities. We talked about that last week. It was not an easy passage always. I don't know how you liked it, but it's not always easy to think about submissive, being, being submissive to authorities. Uh, but Ephesians 5.21 says, submit yourselves to one another in fear and reverence of Christ. How often are we really thinking of the needs of others? And now we get to Romans 13, verses 8 through 14, and we think of fulfilling the royal law. I have keys up here. I just put them out of my pocket. These are keys to the church if anybody wants them. There's lots of them. There's a few more. Carl has more than anyone, I think, because he's been here so long. Uh, why do we need keys? Right? Why? Anyone, you can shout out. Why do we need keys? Lock doors. Lock doors. Why do we need to lock doors? To keep people out. Keep people out. Why do we need to keep people out? Because people are dangerous, right? They want to steal, kill, destroy, harm. So we have to lock our doors. And sometimes we even need alarm systems or bigger doors or, you know, uh, deadbolt locks, things like that, right? Because there's bad in the world. If you look at this passage today, we see Christians are called to be different. Christians are not called to be 
like the world. Our talk is to be different. Our words are to be edifying. You read Ephesians 4, 17-32, which is all about new life in Christ. It's become a new prayer passage for me. You know, Ephesians 4, 32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Christians are supposed to use our words to edify. We're not supposed to steal. In Ephesians 4, Paul also says, Don't steal. Work heartily with your heart that you may share with one another in need. We're called to be different. And that's really what the Apostle Paul is getting at as we get into Romans 13, this passage. And then we move to Romans 14 here uh, in a couple weeks, I think starting next week actually. We see even, we're even supposed to think of another person's conscience issues and respect their conscience. Sometimes we're not that good at that. Sometimes we're not good at loving one another, respecting one another. We're better at one-uppers. We're better at trying to take somebody else down. We're better at objectifying people. Christians are called to be different. We're not called to be that way. I read the following. Our conduct is to be decent and honorable. That's what verse 13 says. It must be acceptable in the open light of day. One example is Augustine. Maybe you've heard of him. Fourth century church uh, father and church leader called St. Augustine. St. Augustine or St. Augustine because he was given sainthood, of course. Although all Christians are saints. Hopefully you know that. We're all saints if we're in Christ. In his confessions, Augustine wrote this work called the, his confessions, Augustine's confessions. In his confessions, he tells of his conversion to Christianity. In AD 386, AD 386, so that's a few years ago. I don't think any of us were alive. In AD 386, at a time when he was deeply moved by a desire to break from his old way of living, he sat weeping in the garden of a friend in Milan. Suddenly, he heard a child singing, Tole lege, Tole lege, which means take up and read, take up and read. Guess what he did? He picked up a scroll lying there, and his eyes fell on part of this passage, Romans 13, 13 through 14, which says, not in orgies and drunkenness. Immediately, his heart was flooded with a clear light, the light from the Holy Spirit. And the darkness of doubt vanished. No other theologian has made a greater contribution to the theology of the Western world than Augustine. And that's how I, God started it. There's a group called the Gideons. They're a great group. Uh, Rich Farr is a Gideon, I think. Uh, and they take Bibles. And they put Bibles in hospital rooms and in hotel rooms. And I get, used to get invited to this Gideon's dinner for pastors when I served in Alliance. And they would give testimony after testimony after testimony about people who were saved at just reading the Bible. Just reading the scriptures. They would go into a hotel room and they would be very, very, very down or doing drugs or something. And they would pick up a Bible and they would be converted just reading scriptures. Now, that happened from the Holy Spirit, of course. But that's what happened to Augustine. God led him to pick up the scroll in, in this divine appointment, divine moment. Through Romans chapter 13, verses 13 and 14, he was saved. He was saved. My theme today is Christian living means loving our neighbor and clothing ourselves with Jesus, making no provision for the flesh. Christian living means loving our neighbor and clothing ourselves with Jesus, making no provision for the flesh. Let's read verses 8 through 10. He says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. As I've said, we're getting into this ethics section of Romans, where it's very, very practical. I don't have to stretch as much to try to find applications uh, for you to think over. Paul had just been writing about being submissive to authorities, and now he begins to write about motivation. What motivates us, and how do we respond? He's saying love must motivate us. Love must motivate us to, to, to think of others' needs and be submissive to authorities and be Christ-like. We must owe love to others. Verses 8 through 10 focus on the Christian's relationship to the Mosaic law. The Mosaic law would be the law of Moses. It was in Exodus 20 and other passages. Actually, it was introduced in Exodus 20. And pretty much the rest of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, were all about the law of Moses. And he's saying, you know, when we love, we are fulfilling the royal law. Oh, no one anything links back to verse 7. And thus the command does not prohibit all borrowing, but means that one should always pay what is owed. Because in verse 7, just a few verses before this, in verse 7, he said, we, we're called to pay our debts as Christians. The debt one never ceases paying is the call to love one another, though. You ever think about that? We can pay all our debts. We can pay off our house or car or whatever, our credit cards. But we can never pay off our debt to love. That's one, that's one thing he's saying here. Oh, no one anything except to love another person. As Christians, we all owe to love one another. To love one another. The New American Commentary assures the Christian is to allow no debt to remain outstanding except the one that can never be paid off. The debt to love one another. The obligation to love has no limit. We are to love not only those of the family of God, but our fellow men as well. As God's love extended to all, so must our concern reach out to believer and non-believer alike. We must love. And it's interesting. What do we owe? Do we owe service? That's a good thing to do. But that's not what he says we owe. Do we owe money? If we do, we're called to pay it. But here he, he, he focuses on love. For the one who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Now Jesus said this in Matthew 22, 38 through 40. James chapter 2, verse 8 is very similar. In verse 9, Paul lists some of the Ten Commandments. And he says they're all summed up in you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know, Paul lists four of the Ten Commandments dealing with human relations. See, there's some of the Ten Commandments deal with uh, our upward relationship, our relationship with God. There's others of the Ten Commandments, these four that deal with human relationships. You shall love your neighbor as yourself comes from Leviticus 19.18 and Matthew 19.19. Remember in Luke chapter 10, there's a parable of the Good Samaritan. Somebody was trying to trap Jesus and said, who is my neighbor? And Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan. Samaritans and Samaritan Jews and Jerusalem Jews were not friendly with one another. They were terrorists with one another. And Jesus made the Samaritan the good guy helping his enemy, the Jewish man. That means even our enemy is our neighbor. Even our enemy is someone we need to love. There's no out. There's no excuse. In verse 10, he says that love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. If we love someone, we do not make fun of them, right? If we love someone, we do not harm them physically, right? If we love someone, we do not try to have competing comments that are one-uppers. If we love someone, we care about them. If we love someone, we want them to know Jesus. I hope we want them to know Jesus. If we love someone, we won't cheat them out of money. If we love someone, we want the best for their children. 
most all of you are parents, and a lot of you, your kids have grown up, and you have grandchildren. I don't know about you, but nothing bothers me more than when my children, something happens to them. Something happens to them. If, if your child is bullied or something, you know, and sometimes you think you want to intervene, but then you think, no, better not, you know. Got to let them learn from this. Think of how you feel if something bad happens to your children. Think of your children as a young, innocent, vulnerable child. How did you feel if they were mocked or harmed, especially in the early, younger years? You know, we should strive to care about everyone that way. Of course, first and foremost, our children, our grandchildren, but really everyone that way, where we care if somebody else is harmed. Actually, I think that God thinks of us as vulnerable people, and he loves and cares for us and supports us that way. Therefore, when we are harming someone, whether talking, uh, gossiping about them or talking negative about them or, or maybe not giving grace when we should give grace, it could, be, it could be just being rude to a customer service associate, a waiter, a waitress, a cashier, something like that. When we are harming them, I think it, I think it breaks God's heart because I think he sees them like we would see our child being hurt. In verses 11 through 14, he says to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So now Paul, and Paul challenges them to step up. Paul wants them to think in a wartime way. The time is coming for them to wake up in the faith. Look at verse 11. He says, besides this, you know the time. That the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Wake up in the faith. Do you ever feel like you're sleepwalking through the day? Maybe some of you are asleep right now. Um, <laughs> do, you ever, do you ever drive somewhere and you're like, how did I get here? You know, I, I don't even remember passing this road. I don't remember, you know, this scenery. I didn't see this or that. Do you ever feel like your, your, your life is pretty much in overdrive? Paul is urging us not to live the Christian life like that. Oftentimes we do. Oftentimes we do. And, and, and as you know, you know, if we're kind of sleepwalking through the day, it could be that we're on pain medicine or Benadryl or, or, or on a drive. We're just maybe very tired or, or we've driven the route so much. We've driven the route so much that we don't notice things. I think Paul is telling us, wake up. Don't live the Christian life in overdrive. Notice things. Those, person, those people you pass, they're creating an image of God. Those people you see, they're creating an image of God. Those people who are, who are taking care of you at the restaurant, at the store, they're creating an image of God. They need to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, and you're an ambassador for Christ. He has you there for a reason. Sleep here is a metaphor for a life of moral carelessness and laxity. We're not called to a life of moral carelessness and laxity. Salvation is viewed as a future reality here. It draws near every day. The day is at hand. The nearness of the end summons Christians to put off all evil works and to live in light. Salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Verse 12 expands on this. He says, the night is far gone. Okay, the night, the night represents the old way, the sin problem. The night is far gone. He says, the day is at hand. The day is the light. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. It's kind of like changing a uniform. Right? So imagine yourself. You play for a football team. 
I won't make any jokes about a team because my team's not doing that well right now. And you play for a team and you get traded. <laughs> or you recognize you want to go to the team of the light. So you put, take off that old jersey and you put on the new jersey. And as Christians, we are on God's team. We're on God's team. We put on the Lord Jesus Christ. I was in junior ROTC in high school. It was Navy Junior ROTC. Great, 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 great program. So it was like a military training program. Every, I think it was Wednesday, we had to wear a uniform. And some weeks they would say, wear your service dress blues. And other weeks they would say, you're casual, whatever. And we had to have inspection. But whether we were in that class or not, everywhere we went in the school, on the bus, whatever, we represented the United States Navy. And so students, you know, had their shirts partially untucked or something, they would get reproved by the lieutenant commander, the former Navy officer who taught us. You were representing the United States Navy everywhere you go. You're wearing the uniform of the United States Navy. And that's the same for Christians everywhere, everywhere we go. Now, I don't really like bumper stickers. Not for me, because they do represent you as a Christian everywhere you go. May we all need that, right? We need that reminder, though. We represent Christ everywhere we go, and we need to live that way. Oftentimes, there is a contrast of light and darkness in the Bible. Darkness is sin and wrong and evil, and light is good. So we, if we know Jesus, we need to get rid of the works of the flesh, the works of the devil, the works of sin, and we need to live for Jesus. Look at verse 13. Let us walk properly. As in the daytime, that's the day of Jesus, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Notice how right here he mentions what we would oftentimes consider major sins like orgies and sexual morality. But he also mentions things that we might think of more little interpersonal issues, quarreling and jealousy. Christians are called to love one another, to disagree agreeably. To not let the sun go down on our anger. We're called to be different. One source shares the practices he urged us to avoid here were common in Corinth where Paul wrote this epistle. He observed them constantly. Intemperance often leads to sexual sin that frequently results in contention and quarreling. Look at verse 14 now. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, put on the uniform of the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for that other team. We put on Jesus, we're not scoring touchdowns for the other team. We're not catching an interception and accidentally running it the wrong way. No, we are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And he doesn't say make some provisions. He says make no provisions for the flesh. Put on Jesus. If we are clothed with Jesus, it's like that. It's a uniform for Jesus. Don't give the flesh any chance. Don't give the flesh any opportunity to gratify its desires. They're not of God. And by the way, this is a common exhortation throughout the Old and New Testament to put on, you know, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to make some applications, and some of these are a summary as well. Do we aim to love one another? Verse 8. Is that our aim? Do we get up in the morning and think, how can I love someone today? How can I, as a Christian, love someone today? How can I extend grace to them? Do we realize that we will always owe love to others? Do we realize we will always owe love to others? I've seen signs on Faceless Book um, where somebody opposed, everybody is short on help right now. Be kind. Right now, there's a lot of retail stops, places, restaurants, dealing with uh, a shortage of workers. Do we think 
okay, we're going to go here and we're going to be grace. We're going to recognize that waiter, that waitress, that customer service. Bobby's a manager at Wendy's. She's shaking no. People don't think that way, do they? No, they still want their food. They still want their food in 70 seconds? Seven seconds. Seven seconds. Seven seconds. <laughs> well, at McDonald's, we had a minute 20. And that's why I like Wendy's better now. Anyways, do we as Christians, can we think differently and think, let's give grace. You know, grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. So even if a person is rude to us, we can give grace. God gave us grace. We all need grace on certain days, right? Maybe every day. I do every day. We can give grace to others. Do we view other people as created in the image of God or do we objectify people? When we view them as created in the image of God, it will help us to love them. I strongly believe that when we're driving on the highway, we objectify the other car. We don't think of the person in there. And that means that road rage can happen more easily. I mean, I believe road rage happens because people drive too slowly. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, but ultimately, it's we objectify people. And we ought not to do that. We've got to think of every person's created in the image of God. The, uh, um, Titus later on said, you know, think of other people, women as your sister, uh, men as your brother. Think of them as family. We know with pornography, the women are objectified. We don't objectify people. Every person is created in the image of God. How do we, I've already touched on this again, but it's in my notes. So let's come back to the waitress, the waiter. I saw this Chick-fil-A training video once and I would love to get my hands on it. It was really good. And of course, we all know Chick-fil-A is God's chicken. And so every time we support them, we're supporting the kingdom. Anyways, uh, Chick-fil-A, and they would have customers, it was a training video, so they have customers walking to the counter. And of course, the customer service associates there at the counter, and it had a little pop-up, pop-up above their heads, above the customer's head. And it would say things like, this person just buried their mother this person just left their spouse who's in the hospital this person just had um, issue with a child you know and it was a reminder that everybody is dealing with something and everybody needs grace can we think that way we must remember that everyone is worthy of grace we need grace too verse 14 we must get rid of the old ways and clothe ourselves with christ this week Try to bless, try to be less, try to bless, but try to be less demanding and extra gracious wherever you go. Especially if you go to Caribbean pools and hot tubs. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Steve owns Caribbean pools and hot tubs. No, wherever you go, or Roth Brothers, wherever you go, try to be less demanding. Try to give grace. Try to think about this passage all week long. Give a good tip at a restaurant, even if the service is not worthy, because that's what grace is. This week, try to think of others as created in the image of God and try to love others. Remember, we owe everyone love. That's what the scripture says. So I began the sermon talking about keys and locks because uh, people do bad things, right? So... I walked in. I was doing a children's overnighter. You have not lived until you do lock-ins. And uh, I was doing a children's lock-in in Cincinnati. And it was a children's ministry lock-in. And so I showed up at the church a little bit early, as I usually would, to set up. And we had a church office next door to our, our church uh, building. It was a very old church, really cool. It was built in 1882. And so I walk. I see the door upstairs totally, totally open. So I walk in and hear noise in the basement of the office building. And I walk down, I find 
two kids around 12 and 14 years old, or 13 and 14, had broken into our office building. I said, hey, wait around here. The police may want to talk to you. And they did. They stayed, which was good. They weren't big 14-year-olds. And later on, the following Monday, I had to give a police report, go to court for them, and so on. Later on, the following Monday, I got a message that the dad of one of the boys uh, wanted to talk to me. And I thought, oh, he's going to say my kid wouldn't do that, you know, whatever. But it wasn't, actually. He, I called him back, and he said, look, we've adopted him, and we've gone through some struggles, and I would like him to serve and do service work for the church. And he did. He came and cleaned up the mess. And later, the court demanded, ordered, the other kid also does service work for the church. But since the one kid did with his father, it was, it was time served. You know, we have locks. We have things like that because we live in a fallen world. And people will break in and steal. But we need to remember as Christians, we're called to be different. We're called to serve. We're called to love. We're called to give grace. We're called not to give the maximum fine. You know, I probably could have said, no, you're not going to serve here. We're going to just demand of you, wait till the court. But we didn't. We, you know, honored that, of course. So those are applications today. Oh, love to other people. I want to pray. And then after we pray, we're going to go into communion, uh, communion song first. So does everybody have one of the, did you everybody get one of the communion elements before you, as you came in? Raise your hand if you didn't. Looks like everybody's got it. So get this ready. It should be pre-peeled, and let's pray. Dearly Father, we thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much, Lord God, for these ethical, these ethical sections in Romans that reminds us that we need to love one another. We need to serve one another. We need to be kind to one another. We need to provide grace to one another. Lord God, help us all. We can only live the way you call us to live through the Holy Spirit inside of us. We don't live this way alone. So help us this week, Lord God, as I exhorted them to give more grace this week. Give a tip, a good tip, even when the service is not maybe tip-worthy. Help us all to be able to apply this, giving grace this week, giving love this week. And we usually would have road rage. Nope, we're not going to do it. They're created in the image of God. We usually, usually might complain or be disrespectful or overly critical. Help us to remember they need love. They need grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.